Lord Byron, Don Juan, Part 2. At the end of our last podcast, we left our hero at the point of his father's death. The rest of the canto, beginning at about stanza 38, will be concerned with Juan's education and his first romantic relationship. Don Juan's mother is very concerned that her son receive the proper education befitting a nobleman of Spain. Stanza 38 closes with another of those trademark Byronic singers. Then, for accomplishments of chivalry, in case our lord the king should go to war again, he learned the arts of riding, fencing, gunnery, and how to scale a fortress, or a nunnery. What Diana Inez is particularly concerned about is that Don Juan not be exposed to anything too racy or suggestive. This is a problem because we learn that Juan is reading the classics, and the gods and goddesses in those Latin and Greek texts are often engaged in rather immoral, by some standards, activities. In stanza 40, the languages, especially the dead, the sciences, and most of all the abstruse, the arts, at least all such as could be said, to be the most remote from common use. In all these he was much and deeply read, but not a page of anything that's loose, or hints continuation of the species, was ever suffered, lest he should grow vicious. Loose here meaning suggestive, and continuation of the species, of course, having to do with anything sexual. Continuing in stanza 41, his classic studies made a little puzzle because of filthy loves of gods and goddesses, who in the earlier ages made a bustle, but never put on pantaloons or bodices. The narrator goes on to provide a catalog of erotic poets such as Ovid, Catullus, Virgil, and Sappho, and how they are somewhat unsuitable for young Juan. One of the funniest stanzas is number 44. Juan was taught from out the best edition, expurgated by learned men who place judiciously from out the schoolboy's vision the grosser parts, but fearful to deface too much their modest bard by this omission, and pitying sore his mutilated case, they only add them all in an appendix, which saves, in fact, the trouble of an index. So the more racy passages are taken out of the main text, but then they are all consolidated into an appendix, which of course makes it much easier for the young boy to find them. And I should point out that Byron's description is based on some actual texts that survive from this period. Donna Inez is careful only to have servants who are either old or ugly, so as not to be too tempting to her young son. But as we will see, there is a problem when he reaches 16. He is a handsome young man, and Donna Inez has a close friend, Donna Julia, who is described in a somewhat exotic way in stanza 56. The darkness of her oriental eye accorded with her Moorish origin. Her blood was not all Spanish, by the by. In Spain, you know, this is a sort of sin. When proud Granada fell and forced to fly, Boabdil wept of Donna Julia's kin. Some went to Africa, some stayed in Spain. Her great-great-grandmama chose to remain. She married, I forget the pedigree, with an Hidalgo, 
who transmitted down his blood less noble than such blood should be. At such alliances, his sires would frown in that point so precise in each degree that they bred in and in, as might be shown, marrying their cousins, nay, their aunts and nieces, which always spoils the breed if it increases. This heathenish cross restored the breed again, ruined its blood, but much improved its flesh. For from a root the ugliest in old Spain sprung up a branch as beautiful as fresh. End quote. So the neighbor, Donna Julia, is particularly beautiful because she has this bit of Moorish, that is, black blood in her ancestry. She is married, charming, chaste, and 23, as we are told at the end of stanza 59. And she has known Don Juan since he was a little boy. Donna Julia is herself married to a man of 50. Wedded she was some years and to a man of 50, and such husbands are in plenty. And yet, I think instead of such a one, twere better to have two of five and twenty. A few stanzas later, we learn that the name of Julia's husband is Alfonso. There is a suggestion in some of the stanzas that Julia's husband had once had an affair with Donna Inez, Juan's mother, before he married Julia, and after the affair ended, Donna Inez befriended the wife of her former lover. And that still keeping up the old connection, which time had lately rendered much more chaste, she took his lady also in affection, and certainly this course was much the best. Being neighbors and the friend of his mother, Ju Julia saw Juan quite often. In stanza 69, Juan she saw, and as a pretty child, caressed him quite often. Such a thing might be quite innocently done and harmless styled when she had twenty years and thirteen he. But I am not so sure I should have smiled when he was sixteen, Julia twenty-three. These few short years make wondrous alterations particularly amongst sunburnt nations. This is another of Byron's frequent references to the climate of Spain being such that its people are passionate and hot-blooded. So Julia begins to notice Don Juan and begins to be attracted to him. She struggles against her passion, praying for some time to the Virgin Mary that she wouldn't see him again. There are several stanzas that describe her size, parodying the descriptions of love in romantic poetry. The more she tries to prevent herself from crossing that line, the more she finds herself fantasizing about the young Juan and even fantasizing that her husband would die. For his part, Juan also finds himself attracted to Donna Julia, and you can see where this is headed. There is a delightful stanza that describes Juan passing lonely hours by a stream where Byron also manages to work in a little jab at Wordsworth. Young Juan wandered by the glassy brooks, thinking unutterable things. He threw himself at length within the leafy nooks where the wild branch of the cork forest grew. There poets find materials for their books, and every now and then we read them through so that their plan and prosody are eligible, unless, like Wordsworth, they prove unintelligible. 
One of my favorite examples of Byron's wit is stanza 100, where he points out how the best laid plans of parents often misfire. Thus, parents are also at times short-sighted, though watchful as the lynx, they ne'er discover that while the wicked world beholds delighted young hopeful's mistress or Miss Fanny's lover, till some confounded escapade has blighted the plan of twenty years and all is over, and then the mother cries, the father swears, and wonder why the devil he got heirs. This stanza is a clever allusion to an unplanned pregnancy. As the two lovers continue to struggle against their passion, we are reminded again that Donna Julia is only 23 and her husband is 50. Byron devotes a whole stanza to the number 50, and it's a brilliant one. It's stanza 108. When people say, I've told you 50 times, they mean to scold, and very often do. When poets say, I've written 50 rhymes, they make you dread that they'll recite them too. In gangs of 50, thieves commit their crimes. Notice how many ways Byron is pointing out that 50 is no small number, and therefore Don Alfonso is quite a bit older than his wife. So the two lovers do finally become lovers one day as they are sitting together, Julia half embracing him and half pulling away, his arm placed against her bosom, both of them trembling. And Julia's voice was lost except in sighs, until too late for useful conversation, the tears were gushing from her gentle eyes. I wish indeed they had not had occasion, but who, alas, can love and then be wise? Not that remorse did not oppose temptation. A little still she strove and much repented and whispering, I will ne'er consent, consented. This momentous event occurs on the 6th of June, which Byron's narrator is quite precise in dating. Several stanzas previously, he even points out that the time was between half past six and seven. The narrator briefly skips ahead to a night in November before going off on a lengthy digression in which he provides commentary on some current events. He resumes his story of the young lovers at stanza 136. "'Twas midnight. Donna Julia was in bed, sleeping most probably, when at her door arose a clatter might awake the dead, if they had never been awoke before. Apparently the door is locked, and there is a loud knocking. "'For God's sake, madam! Madam, here's my master!' This is coming from her maid. "'With more than half the city at his back, was ever heard of such a cursed disaster. Tis not my fault. I kept good watch. Alack!' Do, pray, undo the bolt a little faster. They're on the stair just now, and in a crack we'll all be here. Perhaps he may yet fly. Surely the window's not so very high. By this time Don Alfonso was arrived with torches, friends, and servants in great number. Evidently someone has tipped off Don Alfonso that his wife might not be spending her evenings alone. Poor Donna Julia, starting as if from sleep, mind that I do not say she had not slept, began at once to scream and yawn and weep. Her maid Antonia, who was an adept, contrived to fling the bedclothes in a heap, as if she had just now from out them crept. 
I can't tell why she should take all this trouble to prove her mistress had been sleeping double. The husband proceeds to order his men to search the room, and they are soon rummaging in the closets and chests and under the bed. The narrator tells us that, "'Tis odd, not one of all these seekers thought, and seems to me almost a sort of blunder, of looking in the bed as well as under." Evidently, no one has thought to do that, and our young hero is, in fact, hidden in the bed under the bedclothes. In the meantime, Donna Julia is berating her husband, insulting him and protesting her own innocence and faithfulness. She even includes a catalog of the various suitors that she has turned away because she continues to be faithful to her husband. It is beginning to look like all is well, and Don Juan is going to get away with this. There are some nasty words about Don Alfonso's lawyer, who is, who is in the room as well, and some complaints about lawyers in stanza 151. Donna Julia manages to convince her husband to throw out the men who entered the room with him, and he leaves briefly as well. In the meantime, the two women decide that the best course of action is to get Don Juan out of there, so they get him out of the bed, and he hides in the closet. Don Alfonso re-enters the room. Donna Julia puts on a good performance of crying and just about has him convinced when her husband stumbles over a pair of shoes in stanza 181. A pair of shoes. What then? Not much, if they are such as fit with ladies' feet, but these, no one can tell how much I grieve to say, were masculine. To see see them and to seize was but a moment's act. Ah, well a day. Don Alfonso runs out of the room to grab his sword, and in the meantime, Donna Julia and her maid try to usher Don Juan out of the closet and out of the room, but he runs headlong into Don Alfonso coming back. There is a scuffle. Antonia cried out rape and Julia fire. There is a lot of confusion, a fist fight between Alfonso and Juan, and Don Juan flees, having had his clothes ripped off in the meantime, a contrasting allusion to the biblical story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife. The narrator tells us, here ends this canto, and proceeds to go on for 34 more stanzas. In these stanzas, he details Juan's impending exile and his necessary breakup with Donna Julia. Donna Inez decides the best thing she can do is send her son away, so she sends him on a ship to take him on a grand tour of Europe. Byron also takes the opportunity to discourse on epic poetry in stanza 200. My poem's epic and is meant to be divided in 12 books, each book containing with love and war, a heavy gale at sea, a list of ships and captains, and kings reigning, new characters, The episodes are three. Here, Byron parodies the Homeric and Virgilian epic conventions. He mentions that prose poets like blank verse, I'm fond of rhyme, an apparent allusion to Milton's Paradise Lost, and so on. At this point, he begins to bring the canto to a close with Don Juan's exile. He has a couple of digressions in which he castigates critics, and suggests that he has bribed one of them, a false allegation, but he manages to make his point.
This is the end of the canto, after which his young hero, Don Juan, will have many adventures from Turkey to Russia and all over much of the world.